Well, welcome again to Door Creek Church. Thanks for joining us, whether you're in one of our venues at one of our campuses or joining us online. Great to be together. And thank you to all of you who served this past week. What a great week of connecting with our partners around Dane County. Hundreds of hours given. And man, that's a lot of good work that is bringing about a lot of goodwill in people that we want to share the good news of God's love for them in Christ. So way to go, church. Way to serve been a great opportunity for us to do that as families and a lot of us with our small groups as well. I want to tell you about a guy named Vladimir Potashoff. He knew what it was like to be betrayed by a guy named Rick Ames. He was a young disarmament specialist who fed information to the CIA while working in Moscow. He was arrested on July 1st, 1986 by the Russian authorities because he was a double agent. After being interrogated about a hundred times at this prison, he was sentenced to 13 years of hard labor in the notorious Perm 35 prison camp. And there he was in charge of hauling 500 pounds of heavy metal in a handcart. In other words, he had to push that with the strength of his own body and his body just breaking down shoulders breaking down, his body's breaking down because repeatedly he was beaten with rods, bones broken all over. When he was released, pardoned by Gorbachev, the the doctor said, you're 37, but your body looks like a 65-year-old man. His teeth were missing, either because the water was radioactive or something was wrong there. I mean, he was a complete disaster, but he was better than a lot of the others that Ames gave up because most of those got a bullet to the back of their head. Tim Weiner, writing in the New York Times Magazine, July 31st, 1994, does this expose called Why I Spied, Aldrich Ames, Rick Ames, who was this lifelong employee of the CIA and gave up at least 12 of the best secret agents working for the United States from within Soviet Union and the Soviet bloc during the 80s. All were jailed and most all were executed. Born just up the road in River Falls, Wisconsin. He's described as an alcoholic, underachiever, going through a financially ruinous divorce from a fellow spy. And from 75 to 85, the CIA promoted Ames increasingly with these sensitive posts, unaware completely that he was thinking of selling the agency's deepest secrets to Moscow. In 85, Rick recruits himself, right? He sold a Soviet embassy official the name of two KGB officers secretly working for the FBI in Washington for $50,000. The next month, he volunteered the names of every Soviet intelligent official and military officer he knew was working for the United States, along with whatever else he could find that had to do with Moscow, And so in September of that year, shortly after his second marriage, he receives a wedding present, $2 million from the KGB. In fact, during this 10-year stretch, he received over $4 million, unheard of, unreplicated. But this guy had secrets to share, and he kept sharing them. For the next nine years, whether he was working in Rome or the headquarters at Langley, and today, after, you know, buying that new house with cash for 500 some thousand dollars after driving that luxury Jaguar day after day, he sits serving a life sentence 
in a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. We may not have the physical star, scars of Vladimir Potashoff, but we have scars, right? And in this world, our shredded hearts continually testify to the fact that betrayals are everywhere. We hear about it. We read about it. I heard it today. Healthcare workers moving away from the industry in scores, maybe up to 40% this year, just quitting. Why? They feel betrayed by hospitals who are more concerned about their profits than their personal protection. The public who is more concerned about our comfort than their safety. People of color feel betrayed. That's been going on for centuries by this country that promises liberty and justice for all. Afraid of getting killed, wondering if your white brothers and sisters care. Betrayed by a church, a judicial system, an educational system that promises a career and high-paying jobs and all you're left with is a pile of debt. A boss who's promised you promotion and you keep getting passed over. A co-worker who undermines your work, backstabs you through the week. And for some of us, it's been close as a spouse. And the marriage ended in divorce. And the betrayal has left you with seemingly unending pain and misery. And years later now, you're stuck in bewilderment and grief and resentment, trying to make sense of it all. Jesus understands this. Jesus went through all this. And as we wrestle with how we deal with this, how we're doing with this right now today, it's good to catch up, not with what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus, what, what did he do? What did he do when it came to this kind of stuff? So grab your Bibles. We're in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, we're going to just be introduced to Judas, this traitor. He's this double agent guy, and we're going to meet up with Peter, who's a coward and is going to deny Jesus. Verse 18 I'm not referring to all of you, Jesus says. I know those I have chosen, speaking of the 12. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. Then he quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. He who shared my bread, the psalmist wrote, has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am, that I'm God. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciples and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Ju Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, he was the treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, the upcoming festival of unleavened bread, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. 
So when Jesus' followers, and this is the unique thing about this passage, it's not just anybody who betrays him. It's his disciple. It's not anyone who denied him. It's his disciple. It's Judas. It's Peter. This is what's unique here. It's not just dealing with betrayal and hard things, but it's dealing with these things at the hands of someone who identifies themselves as on with Jesus. And so the title of this message is When Jesus' Followers Disappoint. And and that is a very underwhelming word to describe what's going on. But not all of us will face betrayal. Not all of us will face denials. But we will be disappointed by each other. And hence the title. And so what do we learn here? Don't be surprised. And yet at the same time, expect that when these things happen, it hurts. It hurts. So why not surprise? Well, the scriptures talked about, he's quoting Psalm 41 verse 9 in verse 18. And he also knew about Jesus. He's already hinted at this in chapter 6, verse 7. He says, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He knows what's going on. He knows all things because he is God, the Son of God. In fact, he's telling him these things. He says, so I give you yet an additional proof because they don't have a clue. They're not expecting it. Nobody is going to say, oh, I know, it's Judas, right? It's Nathaniel, right? It's Todd. No, they don't have a clue. And so he's known about it. He said it in earlier portion of this chapter when he's washing feet. All of you are clean, but not all of you, speaking of the one who is going to betray him. And so Jesus is saying, don't be surprised. He wasn't surprised. And he has just said, look, if it happens to me, the master, the teacher, it's going to happen to you, the servant, the pupil. So expect it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. I'm calling you to carry your cross. And your cross may involve these kinds of hard things. Don't be surprised by it. Expect it, but expect that it is going to be really, really painful. And that's what we get here with this word trouble, right? He's troubled. It means that, it, that his heart, it, it's stirred up. There, there's chaos. There's upheaval. It's, he's upset. He's shaken. He's agitated. He's shocked. He's heartbroken. There's all this dissonance that goes on. This isn't supposed to happen. Not in this setting. Not with another follower of Jesus. Not with a friend. This isn't supposed to happen. What's going on here? Notice Jesus comes right out with it. He says there's a traitor in the camp. And not only is it unexpected, but it's completely undetected. And if anybody was to say something right off the bat, we're expecting Pete to jump in because he's always jumping in. And he said, ooh, ooh, I know who it is. He didn't. All Pete could say is, Lord, is, is it me? I didn't have a clue. So, so polished was the deception of Judas. Saying the right things, doing the right things. On cue all the time, nobody had a clue. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Because they didn't know. Peter wants to know, right? And he sees John reclining next to Jesus. Okay, so we're used to seeing the Last Supper of all the disciples spread across a table. Six on Jesus' right-hand side, six on his left. But here's the deal. 
That's not what it was. It's this U-shaped couch around this table of food and it's low and the couch is wide enough that everybody could lean on their left elbow as they're eating. And so here's Jesus and here's John right next to him. Pete sees, hey, John, you're in a position to just whisper and ask him, who is it? And so here's John that Jesus placed on his right hand. And it's very likely, scholars believe, that Judas was in the place of honor right to his left. Jesus, who is it? To which Jesus says, well, it's the one I give this bread that I'm going to dip in the bowl to. And then he does that. Now, just, just so we're clear here, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say it's Judas. I've known about it all along. He's been stealing from the treasury, making it sound like he cares about the poor, but he's lining his own pocket, guys. He's, he's a traitor. He's duplicit. He could have called him out, but he doesn't. And he doesn't just point him out to John. What's going on here when he dips the bread and hands it to, Pete, to Judas is this is this symbol of he's extending grace. He's extending mercy. He's extending his heart. He's extending forgiveness. He's extending restoration, reconciliation. But though he takes the bread, his heart is not open to that. Jesus is actually giving him a way of escape. The Bible talks about, look, when we're tempted, if ever, we should just see this. Every time that we're in, in a place of temptation, there's a flashing exit sign. And this is it right here. Jesus is giving Judas a way out, a way back. But he slams the door. And it says that Satan entered him. And we're going, whoa, what is that? Satan entered him. We notice in verse 2, he was prompted by Satan to betray Jesus. Is that prompting some kind of external temptation? Now he's entered. What, what does that mean? Did he barge his way in? I don't think so. I think he actually opened the door for Satan to come in. And he did it as he rejected and slammed the door on Jesus who's holding out reconciliation, mercy, and forgiveness rejecting the offer of the good shepherd who's there to give life abundantly and instead taking the offer of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's believing the lies, John 8, 44, buying into his murderous plans. One commentator put it this way, Satan could not have entered into him had he not granted him admission. And it, it just goes right back to that interview I was reading this week. Listen to what Ames said to Tim Weiner in, in this interview. There was a sense in which perhaps, and it's hard for me to articulate or to fully understand it, in which I was saying, listen to this, quote, over to you, KGB. You guys take care of me now. You know, I've done this. I've demonstrated that I'm holding nothing back. You guys take care of me. And that's what Judas did that night. And John tells us that it was night, which just, wasn't just an eyewitness account of what time it was when this happened. But what he's saying, it was night. It was dark. Not just out there, it was dark in Judas's life. He cut himself off, rejecting 
the light of the world, the light that brings life. And the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10, that that darkness led to deep despair and to his own taking of his life, to his suicide. Look, the Bible's clear. Satan is real. He's not God. He's a fallen angel. He doesn't know everything. He isn't everywhere at the same place like God. But he's real. And he's got minions, these other angels that rebelled with him as they wanted to, to share in God's glory, rejecting all that. And he hates God. And he hates those who love God. He's a liar. He's a thief bent on your destruction and mine. But don't ever forget the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't ever forget that we fight this enemy with the sword of truth, which is the word of God, just like Jesus did when he was attacked by Satan in the wilderness those 40 days, always, always confronting his temptation with the truth of God's word. And remember what James, Jesus' brother, says when it comes to wrestling with these kinds of things. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he'll flee from you. So when Jesus' followers disappoint, Jesus is teaching us, don't be surprised. Yeah, expect that it's going to hurt. But understand this, God will use it for his glory and our good. That's where we go next in verse 31. Chapter 13, 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, that would be Judas, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Which is like, you gotta read this thing like 10 times ago. What's going on? What's going on here is Jesus is saying, now at this point, I just want you to know the cross is like the next thing to happen. And that is going to be the greatest demonstration of my glory. And that glory is going to glorify the Father as I submit to his plan that was created before the foundations of this world. And as I submit to him, I'm going to be giving him glory and he's going to be giving me glory. And it's going to be this endless circle of glory, glory, glory that surrounds the craziest of things. A betrayal that led him to the cross. My children, verse 33, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, the Jewish leaders, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Only Christ could mount the cross for your sin and mine. And then he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later, speaking of death. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now this is really important. And this is true not just in betrayals and relational hard times. This is true in any hard time. Whether it's a financial hard time right now, whether it's a health hard time, but it's true in these hard times. God 
means it for good. And the good goes both ways. God's glory and your good. So God is glorified in the cross. And the cross is good. It's God's goodness on display. It is good for us because on the cross, Jesus bore our sin. On the cross, he bore the punishment for our sin. On the cross, he conquered death. He was cursed to free us from the curse. On the cross, we find healing and forgiveness. On the cross, we find victory over the devil and sin and death. On the cross, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. On the cross, he sprung open heaven's door that we would have a way in to the relationship that we were made for. On the cross, he was abandoned by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could be adopted into the Father's family. On the cross, he died that you and I might live. And if it's true of the worst thing that's ever happened to the innocent son of God, his betrayal being the best thing that's ever happened, trust God that whatever hard thing you're going through, that God means it for good and for his glory. But that's not all. There's this command, right? We need to obey his command. To love them just as Jesus has loved us. So when Jesus followers this point, here's what he said, don't be surprised. God's going to use it for his glory and our good as we obey his command to love, to love them. And the them here in this, in this text isn't just out there. It's not just like the faithful followers. The context is a traitor named Judas, and a coward named Pete. Love them. Love them. Love the guy who moments ago didn't think he needed his feet washed, claiming that he would be loyal above anybody. Though everyone else deserts you, I won't. Loyalty that would go the distance all the way to death. And yet, chapter 18 tells us, yep, before the sun rose and the rooster crowed, he denied knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus three times, even to an insignificant, powerless servant, young woman around the fire of that courtyard outside the high priest's house. Love one another as I've loved you. We have lifted this out of its context. Let's, let's restore it. Love one another. This is the mark of a true disciple. He didn't say love your God. He taught that's the greatest commandment. He didn't say the second is like under that. I want you to love your neighbor, even your enemy. Didn't say that. He said three times, love one another. That's the mark. That's the mark. And what he's saying here is not that we're to love the world or our enemies less. But we're to love one another more. Even those that aren't lovable. So the newness here of this command is that we are to mirror Jesus' love as I have loved you. What is that love? More than a love that took off his garment, put on a towel and washed some dirty feet. 
That was just all symbolic of what he was going to do on the cross. A my life for yours kind of love that wasn't just stated, wasn't just philosophized. It was lived out. My life for yours. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Excel. Outdo each other in that. Outdo each other in showing honor. Paul would say to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. And so let's talk about loving one another well. I don't know another year like this last year where we have been given the opportunity to love one another well, where we have had more challenges, more things that could divide us and make it difficult for us to actually love one another. The enemy is having a field day and we're not getting it. Jesus commands us not suggests us to love one another. 57 times in his gospel, the word love comes up. Here's what it means. We're to love one another as Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and progressives. We're to love one another. Whether you think they're a fake newser, a science is realer, a mask wearer or a mask hater, a vaccine taker, a vaccine questioner, a black lives, blue lives, all lives matter person, someone who wants to make America great again and someone who wants to make it great for the first time. Someone caught in sin, someone who thinks they've never sinned, love one another, young, old, rich, poor, women, men, married, single, divorced, widowed, orphaned, refugees, love one another. So who is it hard for you to love right now? And I'm not talking about out in the world. I'm talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you growing in this area? Are we increasingly loving people you weren't before you knew Christ? Are there different kinds of people that you're loving right now that you didn't five years ago? Do you understand that this command and all the other one another's in Scripture, and there's a whole bunch of them in the New Testament, it can't be lived out in rows. It can't be lived out alone in your apartment as you're watching me right now. It's lived out in community. That's why we always talk about get in a group, get in a group, do life together. Let's talk about loving betrayers. Anyone who wrongs you, who has wronged you, that you stopped loving? What does it actually look like to love them as Jesus loved you? To forgive them. The attitudes that we have, the words that describe this person to other people. How are we praying for them? You know, the very next verse in the psalm, uh, in, in Psalm 41, the psalmist says, so raise me up so I can get back at these guys. And Jesus fulfilled that psalm by being raised up so that he could forgive those guys. What's it going to take? We go, I don't have that desire. I get it. I, I can't do it. It's just too hard. You can't. Let Jesus give you the desire. Let Jesus give you the ability. Let his spirit in you do what he did to Judas. If Jesus could do it to Judas... Jesus can help you do it to the one who's betrayed you and hurt you and wronged you. He can do it. And he wants to free you from all the bitterness that you're holding on to. He wants us to bring all of that to the cross and continually bring it to the cross because you got to do that. 
with people that have hurt you deeply. It's not like a one-time deal. It's a continual deal. And some of us are just walking around with this weight and this burden. And, and Jesus is saying, you don't have to carry this. I died for all of this. Trust me. Come to me. Many of us need to make it right. Because we are that person who deeply wounded someone and who never made it right. And you're hearing God's word and, and, he's, and he's just like troubling your heart right now to make it right. Make it right. And finally, I just wonder if there's anyone who's succumbing to the lies of the enemy tempted to turn against Jesus. Maybe you've already decided that. And I would just say, don't enter that night. Don't go another night in the darkness. Jesus is calling you out of the darkness into his marvelous light that gives life and freedom. Take his nail-pierced hand. Let him wash your feet and all of you with his forgiveness. Take the peace offering. Not the piece of bread, but his body broken for you. Jesus is calling you, not only by name, he's calling you friend. I mean, this is the amazing thing. When Judas shows back up in the storyline, it's in the darkness of the night and there are torches lit and, and there's a mob and, and there's guys carrying swords and clubs to arrest Jesus and he betrays him with a kiss and Jesus calls him friend. To the very end. It wasn't too late for Judas. It's not too late for you. There's nothing you've done that is greater than God's mercy and grace for you today. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So don't let your stubbornness, don't let the lies hold you in the dark night of your soul. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. And so Father God, we just confess we don't know enough about your love because we still think we're pretty good. And we don't get the cross to the fullness that we should. And we confess that and we ask for your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And so that means, Lord, we don't understand truly what it means to love. In fact, we confess that a lot of times we just don't want to. And you're opening our eyes to the freedom that you are offering us in living like this. So grow us in our love for one another at Door Creek Church. Grow us as your disciples scattered around this city and the world to be known for our love. Lord, help us to love those who've deeply wronged us, to forgive and to keep forgiving, to have attitudes that are becoming and like yours, words, that honor prayers for blessing when everything in us wants to get back and to get even. And Lord, for those who some might think are getting what they deserve, I just pray that they wouldn't miss what you're offering. Judas didn't get what he deserved. He missed what you were offering, your mercy. And I just pray that no one hearing me now would miss your mercy. So Holy Spirit, grant faith, grant life, rescue people out of the darkness. We pray all for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.